I always like to start off with a little story. It has nothing to do with the message, really. It's just an icebreaker. But, you know, this morning I was excited for worship, and I got my mic on and everything. And I was like, oh, worship, I like to jump around and, and dance. And so I was getting ready to take this off because sometimes it hits me in the face. And um, I went to take it off. You should have seen it. It was funny because it's actually attached to, like, something on the cords. And I, and I like, so I just left it on. So, yeah. Now you know me a little bit more. Your turn. Any stories? Okay. <laughs> well, in this series, Wrecked for God, we have been following along with Diane, Diane Lehman's new book with the same title. Now, Diane walks us through in this book really her life story of transformation. What I love about it is it's supported by scripture and theologians, but yet it's laid out in a way that we can all understand. Now, if you happen to be reading the book as well as following along with our sermon series, I just want to let you know that today we are covering chapters 4 and 5. I want to start off this morning about, with telling you a story about a friend of mine. She gave me permission to share this. So it's been several years ago when my friend was married, and she was in a horrible marriage. It was exhausting. And I cared for her, and I really wanted to help her, but it seemed like nothing I did was enough. And I just watched as this marriage was going pretty downhill. Now, my friend and her husband and their family, they considered themselves Christians, but I watched as they made bad choices. And even my friend, she had an affair. Sometime later, that marriage ended. Romans 6, starting in verse 10, says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now this story that I shared with you about my friend, they were Christians. She was a Christian. But they weren't living what the scriptures say. And I got to wonder, what would it have looked like for that family if they would have lived dead to sin? What would it look like if all of us here today really understood what it meant to live dead to sin and alive to Christ and we lived that way each day? What would our community look like if everyone lived that way? So today we're going to talk about what it means to be dead to sin, how that impacts our lives, and why it matters. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, for starters, it means that sin does not control us. Really, any choice we make, good or bad, doesn't define us. Any circumstance that we're in, good or bad, doesn't define us. So that means that job that you didn't get or did get, that bill you couldn't pay, or that account, that investment account that's skyrocketing, that failed class, or the straight A's, that divorce, or the perfect family. And yes, even your profile picture and your Facebook profile doesn't define who you are. God defines us. And he says that when we accept the gift from Jesus, we are saints, free from sin, and can live filled with the Spirit. Being dead to sin means that we may choose to sin, but that doesn't make us sinners. It's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for me to understand. How can I choose to sin even though I'm not a sin nature? Even though the Bible says that I, I'm not a sinner and I don't have sin nature. 
But the very first story of the Bible is exactly this. You see, Adam and Eve were created by God in the Garden of Eden. They were not created with a sin nature. They were not sinners. But yet they chose to sin. When they did that, they brought sin nature into humanity. So then everyone who was born from them, born into humanity, was born with a sin nature. But Jesus. It's my favorite phrase in the entire message. But Jesus. John 1.29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Colossians 2.11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. God performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The scriptures are saturated with this truth. If we believe these scriptures, then we are choosing to believe that God and Jesus cut away our sin nature. It's not half there, half not, kind of hanging on by a thread. No, it's cut off. It's dead. It's gone. When we accept this gift, we are born again. So we are no longer born of Adam and Eve. We are no longer born of humanity with that sin nature. We are born again as saints. It's miraculous. But it's important to understand and believe this. Why? Because what we believe affects our behaviors. Here's a personal example. Last week, I lashed out at my family, mostly Kevin. He's sitting here in the front row. You guys can pray for him. <laughs> so Kevin comes in. I'm making dinner, and he comes in, and, and he's being great. He's, you know, how, he asked me how my day was. I answered by giving him a list of everything that I had done that day. You see, I was looking for affirmation. I was looking for appreciation. And Kevin, my loving husband, responds, did you wash my undershirts? Can you feel the tension? Okay. I'm guessing by the giggles, you can understand, you can relate. That was it. The, the night was a complete disaster. I was just done. I was furious. I am pretty sure I stomped around the entire night, and I made sure that everyone in my family knew everything that I did for them. I had backhanded comments. I was passive-aggressive. I think I said, the dinner I made for you is ready, you know, to my family. <laughs> this is a true story. Behind the scenes at what happens in your pastor's home, okay? <laughs> we can make a movie out of this. But do you think that I'm a bad person? Do you think I'm a bad mom or a bad wife? No. My husband doesn't think that. My kids don't think that. Just because I chose to act that way doesn't make me that way. Just because we choose to sin doesn't make you a sinner. Someone once told me that just because they go to McDonald's, they don't become a hamburger. <laughs> and that really stuck with me. In Christ. He cut off our sin nature. We may choose to sin. We may choose to go there. 
but that doesn't make us sinners. Now, being dead to sin, it means that sin doesn't control us. If we decide to go there, we have the opportunity to reconcile that. So what do we do in that moment? Take a few seconds right now and think of maybe a poor decision that you've made recently. Maybe it was cutting uh, someone off because you're in a more hurry, a bigger hurry than they are. Or maybe it was the gesture you gave when someone did that back to you. <laughs> maybe it was cheating on that test or being at that party that you probably shouldn't have been at. Maybe it was cutting that employee down at the last staff meeting. Or if you're like me, maybe it was snapping at your spouse when he asked about the laundry. Whatever it is, the point is that we probably all have something we can think of recently when we think about sin in our lives. Think about that thing for a second. How does it make you feel? For some of us, we think, I'll do better next time. For other of us, we might think, well, I'll be good when I get to heaven because that's the place where sin can't be. Some of us might be thinking, I'm going to hell anyway. Might as well have fun till I get there. But I think most of us in this room have thought, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, but what, what is wrong with that? What's wrong with that phrase? It's about us. It's about me. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. You're a saint. And not because of what we have done or will do, but because of what Jesus did as us, for us. He died as our sin nature, and he took that sin nature, and he killed it. So when we choose to go there, it looks like having a conversation with Jesus. So for me, in that example I gave, at the end of the night, it was taking a deep breath and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for the way I behaved. That's not who you made me to be. Let's go have a talk with Kevin. Will you help me? And then Jesus and I went and had a talk with Kevin. And it sounded like, hey, babe, I'm really sorry for the way I treated you. That's not who God made me to be. Will you forgive me? And it opened the door to more conversations. When we have honest, vulnerable conversations with Jesus and with others, our relationship with Jesus and with others can grow. Now, when you're having a conversation with Jesus, he is not asking for your list of things you did wrong. He took care of that list on the cross. He's looking for a relationship. So being dead to sin means that our choices do not define us. It means that Jesus killed our sin nature and that we are saints. And any mistakes we may make, we have an opportunity to reconcile in relationship with Jesus. Well, how can this impact our lives? Well, you know that story I told you about earlier of my friend who was in that horrible marriage? That friend was me. Yes, my marriage to Kevin ended, not because I filed for divorce, because I did, not because I filed for divorce twice, because <laughs> I actually did, but because Kevin and I were wrecked for God and wrecked for good, 
And when that happened, God changed everything. He created a new marriage with a new husband and a new wife filled with his spirit and free from any guilt of anything we had done to each other. God forgave us, so we forgave. What we began to believe began to affect our behaviors. Our behaviors didn't change because we thought we're going to do better. Our behaviors changed because we believed that what Jesus did was actually enough and we were free from sin. When we believe that Jesus is in us and we are saints, we start to act differently, not on purpose, but rather our transformation naturally shows. You may notice that you cuss less. <laughs> or when you do cuss, it feels weird, like it's not you. <laughs> you may notice that you are less frustrated, that you have more compassion, that you're not in a hurry, and that you actually like people. <laughs> this is because Jesus is not frustrated. He is compassionate. He's not in a hurry. He loves people, and he is in you. Another way that we are impacted when we believe that we are dead to sin is that we get to be filled with the Spirit over and over. Ephesians 5.18 says, Stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Now in Diane's book, she has a section that talks about the Holy Spirit that really stood out to me. If you want to check it out later, you can. It's on page 105. I'm just going to read this little section to you. The Spirit is seen and heard. He is not silent. He is not still. This is not something or someone to be feared. Instead, he should be welcomed. Without the Holy Spirit's acknowledged and welcome presence on a daily basis, no one can live the life that God has prepared for us right now. This life of generous, joy-filled union where we experience the Spirit's love and power every day. When we are filled with the Spirit, we get reminders from him. John 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, one who will never leave you. Continuing in verse 26, Jesus says, When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So you see, when we're filled with the Spirit, he reminds us of who God created us to be. We don't have to do anything on our own. The Spirit is our teacher, our advocate, our reminder. So here are some examples. For me, I think, I can start to think, don't jump or dance in worship or raise your hands. You might look like a fool. But the Spirit reminds me that I'm too excited about what God has done in my life to stand still or to care what other people think. The Spirit may say, don't tithe or give extra. You won't have enough to pay your bills. Or you may think that. But the Spirit reminds you that everything you have, everything we have comes from Jesus. And the best way we can steward his money is by living generously. Now, we may think, hmm, we better not give that word of prophecy. You know, we're going to get it wrong. 
but the Spirit reminds us that Jesus is all-knowing, and he wants to partner with us to prophesy over people and speak love and life into their lives. We may think, don't pray for healing, it won't happen. But the Spirit reminds us that all authority, say it with me, all authority has been given back to us by Jesus to cast out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Acts 2.17 says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. This revelation can only happen by being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit transforms us. We are wrecked for God and we can fully embrace our sainthood. So what would it really look like in your life if you lived each day dead to sin and filled with the Spirit? What would our community look like if everyone lived this way? Jesus is alive. And he is living in you. What you do, he does with you. So think about what you like to do. Think about those things. Consider that maybe it's Jesus in you that likes to do those things. I'm just going to come out and say it. With me, Jesus likes NASCAR. He does. He likes watching NASCAR. <laughs> he likes spreadsheets. He really likes spreadsheets. He and I, we have a good time with our spreadsheets. Uh, he likes church, and he likes worship music. He likes serving others. He likes prophesying into others. He likes healing marriages, and he loves kicking cancer to the curb. And this matters because he wants to do all of these things in partnership with us to free others. I love the lyrics to one of my favorite songs called Living Hope by Phil Wickham. The section that always stands out to me says, The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. You see, in this moment of the story, it's enough. The moment that Jesus died, it was enough to forgive our sins past, present, and future. Our sin nature was cut off in that moment. But that's not the end of the story. There's more, and it matters. The story in the song continues. Then, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe, and out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. That roaring lion, he's in you. He's in me. And he is still declaring. He didn't stop declaring. He is still declaring through us to the world that we can have a life free from sin. That we can be alive in Christ and filled with his spirit. This is what it looks like. Today we are celebrating baptisms as a symbol of what Jesus has already done. When we go under the water in baptisms, we remember that Jesus went into the grave for us, as us. He took that sin nature back to hell where it came from. 
And when we rise out of the water, we remember that Jesus rose as us, for us, free from sin, so that we could be saints and alive in him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you that what you did was enough. I pray right now over everyone hearing this message today that in your minds, that your minds would be able to understand that you are free from sin, not because of anything that you did or will do or have done, but because of what Jesus is doing in you and through you. I pray that this revelation will actually sink down into your heart so that you are able to live this life every day. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your spirit to be our teacher, to be our advocate, to be our reminder every single day. Thank you that when we said yes to you, life is exciting, that we have a new revelation of everything that you have done for us and want to do with us and through us. Thank you for baptisms today. Thank you for the, the way that we get to watch people make this decision. And it's a reminder to all of us who have, who have accepted you, Lord, that this is what you've done for all of us. I pray that you soften our hearts, Lord, as we enter into a time of worship. May these words just speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now in this place. Amen.